friends, welcome to episode 207 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How about you, Rob? You know, can we just get the weather in Michigan to take, like, five minutes to be the same? No. Next question. <laughs> uh, dinner was great. Dinner was great. Dinner, <laughs> was, dinner was fantastic. Uh, but the tea feels good, because, uh, oh my god. That's like... my, my favorite brand... Yep. Paris, Harney and Sons Paris. It's like I, I I couldn't place the flavor of it. It's like kind of very fruity, which mm-hmm. is what I like in a tea. Like I know a, like a lot of tea snobs will probably hate this, but like it's got like vanilla and black currant mm-hmm. in it. I just found that out tonight. I never bothered to even read it. It's I, just delicious. And that's the thing is I don't think tea snobs do. I think what it is is that like there are purists who are like tea must be tea, and it's yeah. like no. No, the whole idea is that it's it's uh, the best kinds are a hodgepodge that you put together that day. Mm-hmm. You just you mix things together. You b- put a pinch of this, a pinch of that. You get a little cinnamon. You mix it up, and the tea is great. Oh, just a and, dab of honey in there too. Yeah, and then you get like the people who are like, oh yeah, and you could add cream to it. I'm like, what? What? It's tea. What are you doing, buddy? Why not though? <laughs> why not? And and that's the thing for me. Like everything's it's fake. I'm... Nothing's real. Life's right. short. That's true. That's true. So add put what cream you in want your honey. to it. That's yeah. right. Whatever. It's fine. Put your cream in your tea. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, we it... got your game coming up next week. We do on on Sunday is my game, uh, and uh, I'm I'm a little nervous, but at the same time, I'm trying to cartwheel myself back from that nervousness because. I'm switching systems. I'm going away from D&D, which requires me to be everything yeah. and make it right, to Blades in the Dark, where it's like, you guys know what's going on. Tell me what's going on. Right, like, right. Tell me how this is going to end. And like, then roll some dice and see if it works out that way. Plus, I mean, it's <laughs> the end of your campaign. So, yeah. like, long-term consequences of None. anything, you know, no, nothing's going to go wrong. No. Like, nothing's going to go wrong. And even if it does, it's the second to last, maybe last episode, you know, of your, yeah. of your game. I kind of expect it to be second to last, but, like, at the same time, it may just roll right I I don't know the speed of how this is going to go for sure. the group. But... Look, going through all the rules, I just I'm get of Blades in the Dark. I get more and more comfortable with how this could play out mm-hmm. if everybody really feels it. Yeah. So I think I'm yeah. I think I'm actually going to open it with kind of a not the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, you guys uh, still had one more orb that you could get that was down in the dark forest. Yeah, sure. I may let you guys run that as like a primer to see how this will go mm-hmm. before you do the end, so you kind of get warmed up for it. I think we leave it there, just so you that your big so? bad evil guy uh, feels like they <laughs> still have a fighting chance. Okay, so there's a comeback, possibly? Yeah, yeah, okay. exa- exactly. I mean... No, no, just so they feel oh, like it is. Oh, fair, fair, just, that's fair. Just to give them, like, hey, I still got one more orb, yeah, that's nice. That's thoughtful of that's, you. That's, yeah. yeah. You haven't gone and gotten it, so what's going on there? <laughs> it's 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 kind of like uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, the, the rules in uh, Merkborg, you know, where it's like, name your character, it won't help. Like, you, <laughs> that's fair. You've, that's you've fair. still got one orb of power. It won't save you. It's not going to save you. It won't it's save you, save yeah. You. All right. Well, we've left them in the wings long enough for our show tonight. Uh, we have a couple guests. We have two have guests. We have two guests who have joined us because uh, as much as we'd like to say we wrote the show, they wrote the book. 
They literally wrote literally the book. wrote the book on uh, reactive versus proactive play. And so, uh, why don't you give the intro for Tristan, and I'll do uh, Jonah. Sure, we would like to uh, welcome to the show uh, Jonah and Tristan Fischel. Uh Tristan is a TTRPG enthusiast and freelance writer. Uh, he is also Jonah's lab rat for all of his ideas. And, and Jonah is the long-term tabletop player. He's got twenty years as a Forever GM. He's nine years older than Tristan, and quote much taller. We have that confirmed from. Multiple we, we independent do. sources. Yes. Yes. He interested in working on this book and uh, the Game Master's Handbook for Proactive Playing. Uh, in November and twenty uh, first, it should be released if everything. Or wait, wait. No. No, no. November this. of 21. They've been working on it since, since then. then. Yes. My, I need to read better. That's yeah. my problem. So we'd like to introduce them. You guys want to come off a of mute and say hello? Hey, yeah. Good evening, Rob, <laughs> Sarah. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Good Complete day. pleasure thanks on for our being side. here. Yes. Thank, thank you for putting up with our ridiculous weeks of emails and previous uh, you know, calls and getting things prepped. But I think it's all come together quite well for this. Knocks in the box. No, it's it's already great. It feels like chat. we know you already, and I can trust you to do like a very truthful on the ground reporting <laughs> about who's taller. <laughs> and so I feel uh, like we have a connection already. <laughs> and it just means a lot. So thanks for having us. It's so good. Yeah, to be absolutely. Here. You're Thank welcome. You. You're welcome. All right. So before we we jump straight into uh, the meat and potatoes, I'm going to let you answer the question that we normally answer, and that is, what is reactive versus proactive play? Great question. So it's sort of a nebulous idea, I think, but we wrote a whole lot about it in the book, and it's something that we – it's a category of play that we talk about um, – basically what the players do and what the GM does in the game. Because like, you know, most games, the game master, the dungeon master brings a situation to the table and says, okay, you're in the dungeon. The bad guys are over here. They're doing a dark ritual. You know, what, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And the players are reacting to the situation that the dungeon master brings to them. Um, and proactive play is flipping that script around. So the players are coming together and saying, here is who our characters are. Here's the things they want to do. Here are their hopes and dreams and ambitions. And they want to go do this thing. And then the, the dungeon master says, okay, well, here's what the world looks like. Then here are the obstacles in between you and your goal. And so it just kind of turns the, the style of play around where the game master is responding to what the players want. Mm -hmm. rather than the, the, the game master presenting the situation and the players reacting to it. That's how we think about it. Now, you've, you've said uh, 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 just, just before the show here, this is, you've, you're actually running some uh, paid uh, DMing uh, sessions, and you said you're, you're kind of running into some problems where your players are very, very passive uh, about this sort of thing. So what would you say is like the, the biggest thing you can uh, uh, say that storytellers can do to encourage their players to switch to a proactive rather than reactive style of play? How do you bring that out in your, in your table? I think it's all about uh, setting the expectation and the tone. And I actually think those guys, the, the new group I'm, I'm playing with, Boys, if you're listening, you're doing a great job. I won't put them on blast. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, this right is on, right a new on. Situation. <laughs> hey, for look, them. everybody's having fun. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's a style of game that I like to run, where we do our world building together, and we mm -hmm. say, you know, I use a system called a Spark and Fate Core. We decide what the world looks like, who the major players are, what the major conflicts are, and then that session's it. That's like session negative one, you know. Mm -hmm. And then session zero, they all make their characters together, and I kind of supervise. And I try to make it so that who their characters are and what they want and the things that I know they're going to pursue 
line up at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I, I have a whole week before session one to plan what they're going to do. The obstacles are going to run into as they strike out into the world and try to do what they want to do. But that takes some getting used to. So session negative one is where we lay the groundwork. It's got to be a world that they're interested in. But most of all, it needs to have like concrete things that are happening that they can tie their characters into. Because I think if you tell a player, or you tell a you know an established long-running Dungeons and Dragons game, for example, mm-hmm. you know what does your character want? Um, I think it'd be tough for a lot of people to come up with like, okay, the core of my character is this. They can talk about what they can do, probably, mm-hmm. and what they've already done. Um, but I think it might be tough for some of them to say, okay, well, you know, I really my dream is to do this, and and I'm searching for this, and. What I really want is to realize this ambition. And some people do that naturally. And some people, you just need to to coach them a little bit. And so if you make a world that has interesting things happening in it and they can build character and they've built that world, right? So they know what's happening in it. Then they can build characters that fit right into it and can do things in that world that are exciting to them. And as long as they're excited about what's happening and they want to explore the world that they've made, uh, then that's the hard part. And then everything else really just kind of, it, it is a self-driving engine. And Rob, I think you're going to find that with Blades in the Dark next week. <laughs> yeah, uh, You were talking about in your intro. Like it just, it, it's like falling down a hill in style. You just, just keeps rolling itself. Um, and everything that they want to do leads naturally into the next thing. So getting it started is the tough part in my experience. And I think that the new group I'm working with is, did a great job of that. So in that, I mean, we've reviewed a lot of different systems and we've talked about um, how some systems will will teach you certain methodologies. I take a look a lot at how the uh, systems look at um, uh, the narrative side of things and the storyteller aspects of them. Mechanics obviously come into play there a little bit on how those worlds get built. Dune does a beautiful job of having this amazing setting, but also sets some things in motion. Um, other games love doing the like, here's a bunch of random things you can throw together to create a a line or a setting. Uh, you know, I think of Worlds Without Numbers uh, and Stars Without Numbers as uh, good world generation systems that throw in there. Are there certain systems that guide reactive and proactive play in that opening gambit i the first thing i can think of is powered by the apocalypse yeah me too and having played some blades even recently in some of its offshoots that's the one that comes to mind for me too but i think the the core of it like maybe the best example of it is um have you played fiasco i i, I want to play fiasco i have had the book for years <laughs> yeah okay yeah so i don't know if you've got a stack or something if you do move fiasco to the top it's great uh <laughs> shout out to jason morningstar by the yeah. way uh one of the all-timers as far as i'm concerned in terms of game design because fiasco for people who don't know is a gmless game mm-hmm. it's played in the single sitting most of the time and everyone has a character and all the characters want something and they want something very badly and they're in some sort of situation where they can't get it. And the whole game is kind of structured like a play. I think that's intentional, but it's yeah. not mentioned explicitly. Um, and then the characters have scenes where they kind of battle it out, usually socially, but not always. You know, things can get things can get hairy if you let them and they just try to get what they want. Um that is the core of it, right? A game like that is literally telling the players, this is the thing that you want. The game ends or you win when you get it. 
And that's oh. a simplification of fiasco, but that's the core of it. Mm -hmm. That's the genius of it. I don't think that a game like Dungeons and Dragons is the one that I keep coming back to. I don't think it discourages that at all. Um, mm -hmm. But it doesn't have the same systems in place for character creation that Fiasco does, where Fiasco defines your character by what you want, and D&D &D defines your character by the things you can do, the tactics and maneuvers and, and spells and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think we, we talked a bit about it. If, if you're on the Discord, you may have seen this uh, this, this discussion uh, that we had uh, about how D&D &D teaches you how it wants to be played. Uh, uh, one of the two of you had mentioned um, the uh, the carousing rules. Yeah, and uh, I I had said something to the effect of like you know uh you know look at look at how many pages and where it's located in the book uh, yeah. for the carousing rules versus how many pages and where they're located in the book to the combat rules. Yeah, like, you know what does D and D tell you it wants to be played as? Yeah, and and mm. I look at uh, I, I look at the same thing of like mouse guard. Mouse guard does a beautiful job of outline like the f why are you a guard what drives your need it 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 forces you to immediately assume you're in the world mm -hmm. right off the bat not like what's your background who were your parents those are great things but if right off the bat the first thing you have to th start thinking about is why did you join the guard right you're already right. on the guard level like your brain's already attached right. to that yeah yeah it matters you've had your you inciting fight, incident for. already. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, your call to adventure has happened. Mm -hmm. Who are you right now in yeah. this moment? And even like yeah, Shadowrun, which is a which is you can say is a very tactical game in the way that it plays its numbers and does everything else and its pools of dice. Even it at its core says you are a runner. You are hungry for something, and kind of gives that fiasco edge. Where like, why are you running the shadows? Like, are you running from something? Are you trying to build yourself into some kind of fame? You know, do you owe something? Like, all of that is assumed because you're already locked in the setting that you are a runner. Like, and those types of narrative initiatives that are slapped right at the beginning of, of a book that basically blurt out, this is who you are. You, you know, as much as you think there is an open world here, it is a very beautiful open world that can go very far. But this is the place where you sit in it to start with. Yeah, it's baked in. Exactly. In a way that D&D kind of doesn't do, right? It's very open in that way, and you choose your background and where you come from, but there's very little direction about what comes next. So I guess my, you know, what, what, what I'm building up to... What are the things your character will do? Well, yeah, what I'm building sorry. up to as a question here is, uh, then, is what do you do when you are running a system like D&D, &D, uh, and there aren't these um, baked-in systems like there are for, say, like Blades in the Dark, to... Um, give your character a direction and a motivation and stuff like that. How do you, you know, and it, it seems like it is, it is built towards reactive play. Um, so how do you take a system like that and shift it into proactive play? How do you empower your players to, to do things like that? Um, or is it, is it just something of like, you just have a conversation with your players? I don't play a lot of D and D these days, actually. So maybe <laughs> Tristan, what do you think? I mean, <laughs> is it, you're pulling teeth? I mean, I, I wouldn't call it pulling teeth. It definitely, I, I think it requires at least one extra step, which is just kind of that goal clarification like you were talking about earlier. And I, I you can start this even partway through a campaign, but it, it really does work best when right off the bat, right, that session zero or, uh, you know, even better, right, that session negative one Jonah was talking about where the player's and the and the GM right can establish the setting together, so they they have something to bounce off of. They have stuff to build goals around. But at the very least, uh, I I think 
it's it's not too bad to do in D and D, and you know similar games like that, very uh, combat focused games. Uh, if you you know sit down with your players and for each character just come up with a couple of goals, right? And that's something Jonah and I have talked about for a long time and kind of tried to refine and figure out is you know how many goals should they have? You know, short term, mid term, long term, and keeping them uh, sort of concrete and achievable. Uh, instead of, you know, become more powerful, you want something specific you can work towards. I want to learn this ancient lost spell, or I want to find this specific powerful magical item, or I want to become, be crowned king of this kingdom or whatever. So it, it, it sounds to me, and I, and I could, I can probably already feel some of the people who are listening to the podcast who play D&D going, this sounds like a loss of control to the storyteller. Like, it's no longer their story, which is a huge thing that we see all the time on Reddit. Like, the players don't want to play my story, or or this player has a ridiculous backstory that they keep following. Like, that's that's what they're doing. Like, where does the line between I'm telling a story and I'm just the ref of the game come into this? Yeah, so that's the whole thing, right? <laughs> is I get, like, my gut reaction to that is... Yeah, it is a loss of control, and you know what? Good. That's a good thing, <laughs> because this game that we're playing is not you telling a story. I think it often can slouch into that if you're not careful, but it's not. It is a conversation between you and your friends where you explore something cool, and you do it together. Mm-hmm. And the game arises out of the, not the clash, but the... The interaction, the dialectic, you might say, between what everyone at the table wants and the stories that they want to tell. So I think, like at my harshest, I would say, if you just want to tell a story, just write a novel. Don't don't play a tabletop game, um, because I think the beauty of of a game like Dungeons and Dragons or Thirteenth Age or Blades in the Dark is that it is about the story that you tell together with your friends. It's it's you hanging out with your friends, talking about cool stuff that could happen. Um, and the dice are just kind of there to guide you and to restrict you in some ways that are fun. It it sounds like, I mean, in that that's great, but at the same time, like I'm, and, and not to say that like all of our tables aren't very creative and that the players who sit down at them are, are all going to keep come you know, are going to come up with goals and they're all going to mesh or they're going to be close to each other and they'll come up with these great things. Cause I, I look at blades in the dark even as an example of like, it gives you the option when you have those silent players who who just kind of want to be there versus I have a reason to be here. You know, how do we, yeah. as the storyteller, then thread that needle between helping them and, you know, and and basically stopping them from being just reactive and being proactive players? Because at certain points, we're going to have to be a little bit of a storyteller to keep them things motivated. Like what does that line look like? Those, uh, I, I mean, th- those styles of play are definitely kind of on a gradient, right? Um, like Jonah, Jonah and I both enjoy running very kind of player focused, proactive games. But even then, you know, uh, like Jonah, Jonah likes to build the world with his players. Right. And he kind of, if you want to use it in terms of like, right, uh, game master control, he's kind of relinquishing part of that control. Uh, and that's just not really something that I enjoy as much as him. So that's not something that, that kind of session negative one isn't usually something I do in my games. Um, so there's there's definitely kind of a, a gradient depending on what you enjoy and what your players enjoy. 
Um, and you can kind of shift in and out of that. But I would definitely still say, you know, you, you can it's a very collaborative experience. It's not like a complete uh, and utter, you know, uh, ref position. <laughs> so so from your position, because you are more of a direct storyteller, not so much as like, I'm almost putting you guys at, at on opposite, not quite opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum, but you've got your style, which you, you've already said, is where you don't necessarily do the world building with the players. You give them some agency uh, to make their characters, but they're still sitting within an existing setting and framework that you've put forth. In how do you make it feel from your perspective? Like where, what blank spaces do you do? Do you let them fill in? Is it an ad lib kind of a thing on your side that they can't quite see, or do you open that up for them and and allow them to fill blanks in your world? I I usually uh, have you know kind of basic idea of the world. I like to you know know what what interesting things are unique about it. What you know what are the large factions? What are the important people? And when I go because I do I do a session zero with my players and we'll we'll make characters together. And when they're deciding goals and they're deciding deciding things about themselves, I kind of try to encourage them to uh, to make bold claims. And I can kind of adjust things as needed. So if uh, you know. If a player wants to be the first dragon riding knight of the emperor or whatever, right? Then I guess the knight, you know, the emperor has dragon riding knights, <laughs> right? Uh, and stuff like that. So there's there's a, a gray area in there um, that I I try to keep somewhat vague so my players can sculpt it as they as they like. Yeah, and I don't necessarily do that as much right because uh <laughs> i think we we do have pretty different styles but the the core of it is both of us are creating that world and sculpting it and specifically what we're doing is we're designing encounters and things to explore in response to the players rather than making them ahead of time and throwing them at the players so we're doing the same thing in a really sort of grand scale which is what do the players want to do and then we fill in the details around that Sometimes it does take a lot of work. Like, uh, I think like most of the time running a game, a proactive game is less work. There's less prep, but getting it, getting it started can be kind of tough. So here's an example. I'm running a 13th age game right now. Mm -hmm. Um, we have three players and the player's goals are as follows. One is a pirate, his father also a pirate, and he's looking for his father's lost treasure. He's also kind of looking for legacy and sort of his place in the world. This is a very good goal. I like that one. Uh -huh. um, there is another one who's a ranger. His family is killed by orcs. He is out for revenge. He was adopted by a spirit of the forest, and he's also looking to bring her home to her grove. Love it. And then finally, we have a wizard whose name is Telemarp, son of Telomerp, son of Telomere, whose family has been cursed where every successive generation is slightly worse than the last. And his goal is to lift his family's curse. So my job as a, as a proactive style GM is to figure out what are the things that they could do? What are the obstacles that they would face if all three of them were to travel together and do all the normal, you know, 13th age D and D things where they're an adventuring party going on adventures together that also brings them towards their goals. And there's some just like pretty easy, practical things you can do. You know, the player who's playing the pirate doesn't know where the treasure is. Mm -hmm. right. That's a, a surprise for him to find. But I know where it is. Yeah. I know exactly where it the is. And I treasure. know the circumstances surrounding it. <laughs> yeah. I know what's in it. And I know why it's hidden. 
And I also know that that location is pretty close to the spirit forest that the ranger wants to go to. And in fact, they're related in some way. And I also know that within the forest dwells a very powerful spellcaster, good at lifting curses. So all that stuff I came up with after I knew what the player's goals were. And I could just say, well, I want them to go together because we're friends and we're playing this game together. And I want them to be able to pursue their goals. I want to link them together in a way that makes sense. And if as we play the course of the game, that stuff doesn't work, then I'll just change it whatever or if they want to do something else then there's other options but that is my agency as a storyteller is and that's what's fun for me just personally weaving all those elements together and then designing encounters that kind of represent the obstacles that would be in their way yeah absolutely absolutely and like you said you know if if any of those things don't work out it's you know the quantum ogres theory you know you can always just move them (laughs) nothing nothing is set in stone until it actually happens yeah, and you know? I, I always find it in, intriguing and yet infuriating that when the player comes to a table with a character, they have this drive and, and motivation and stuff, and they get five or six sessions in, and the entirety of their character starts shifting. Mm-hmm. And suddenly their <laughs> motivations, because now they're part of the world that they kind of thought that they were in and from their focus point, and suddenly it starts shifting, and now we've got a moving target as a storyteller to try and refit things because what's motivating the character on paper is not always what's motivating the player um i i kind of had i had this with you uh, as ravana whereas like right at the beginning you were like i want to be a powerful wizard Mm -hmm. and that's that was what paper ravana was but at the same time i I still am but then at the same time (laughs) i presented you with the fact that your world was gone yeah and suddenly the hard shift was does any of this effing matter? Yeah. And the existential crisis lays out. Right, And so, right. so now that has weight in a totally different direction. Mm-hmm. And I've got to f- weave that, you know, needle through everything to try and make it work. So I I agree with the fact that it, it sometimes feels like when the players are being reactive, it's easier for them. And when you're being reactive to the players from the other side of it, you know, you're proactive in the sense of the way that they're presenting all of this good narrative and you're just sitting back giving them scenarios that that gives you a certain sense of relief. But at the same time, there's a lot of things shuffling in front of you that you've got to pay attention to. I think note taking becomes something serious at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's it's strange watching that shift from you know from from proactive to reactive because you can you can actually see kind of who who's doing what at your table by who's taking more notes yeah. over the players you know yeah and and I do feel like the investment shifts hard I think um, I saw it when we were talking about any of the powered by the apocalypse games mm-hmm. anytime when a player can invest their own ideas into the world they can see it they can attach to it they look for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's those types of things. I think it's the same reason why some properties um, where if you go back through like Ravenloft as an adventure 20 years later, you're excited about it because you know what to expect. Right. And that expectation kind of drives you through it because you're there in the story. Sure. It's like writing. It's like writing a roller coaster the second time. You know, you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I love it when it does the loop de loop. I already know it's coming up. You know? Right, but at the same time, it's a little different every time. Yeah, sure. But sure. as a storyteller, you don't want to lose that energy. Um, I'm going to double back on one of the points that you were kind of talking about. It's something that we've discussed a lot of times in Making the World Living. Even though we're being presented with some of this information, you were uh, talking about how um, uh, the world has to have a living sense to it. Factions have to have a direction. Um 
And I want to talk about that kind of vectoring that gets set up. Like a lot of people, a lot of storytellers, when they first start out, want to write a heavy amount of detail about the world and about the factions and about things in it and what's going on to a, a degree of detail that nobody needs. What, uh, and we've talked about it a lot. Like, what what's the layers that you put in there, which right. is not much. How much work do you put into it? Yeah. Right. In this kind of a sense, mm-hmm. what? how much do you put in? How much How much beyond just the vector that those NPCs are going in do you tend to put into your games? Far more than, than necessary, usually. <laughs> I mean, I used to do a lot more, too, because that's what I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love filling in the details of the world. I love thinking about who are these people, you know, just the people in, in this town we're in, what are their lives like? What do they do every day? You know, where does their food come from? Um, that kind of thing. And I like thinking about it and I like writing it out. And uh, I don't have time to do that anymore. I just, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. I, w- I wish that I did because I love it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I got a job. I got a baby. I got stuff to do. So I do very little. My uh, prep for the week for every game I run, uh, it takes about an hour and I do, I do some of it right after the session is concluded where I just write up a list of bullet points of things that have happened, I think would have consequences in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I just, I leave it. I, sometimes I think about what those consequences might be. And then if time has passed or I think time will pass in between the sessions, sort of game time has passed. Then I think about, I have a running list of things that the factions are trying to do. And it's a very vague sort of suggestion. Let's see, I have my notes in front of me. Uh, yeah, okay, so Alandir is trying to place a spy in the Court of Stars. That's all I have. Um, mm-hmm. I don't need any more details than that. And then when time has passed sufficiently for that to have happened, based on roles or just because I feel like it's been a long enough time, then sitting there in that moment, I decide what that means. And if I need to look back over my notes to figure that out, then I do. And then I, I just kind of write another bullet point of if anything has changed in the world, I write it out. Sometimes I just tell the players that. And sometimes it's a rumor that they could come across if I if it occurs to me to remind them to roll to gather information. So uh, and then the other hour, of the other part. So that, you know, it's 20 minutes. The other 40 minutes of my hour of prep is uh, encounter design, picking monsters and tweaking stats, basically. But like the narrative part really takes care of itself. There's very little tracking you have to do. If, as long as you write like a little bit down about what's changing about the world in response to the players, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then I, I think you're good. It hurts me sometimes to not think about who is that spy? Where did he come from? Why is he here? What's he capable of? Uh, but, you know, I restrain myself or I improv at the table. Yeah, right on, right on. Tristan, do you do you restrain yourself? I, I restrain myself a lot less than Jonah, I think, partially because I have way more free time than him because I do not have a baby. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. But Good clarification. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lot like Jonah. I think both of us are really just kind of in love with uh, the feeling of, of world building and fleshing those things out and fleshing out characters and places and all these things. Um, and I, I actually started to enjoy it more after I started running proactive games because I felt like, um, kind of before I felt, it felt very rigid to me. Um, and I would sometimes have trouble kind of figuring out what I wanted to write about and what I wanted to flesh out 
And it could feel really overwhelming because there's that kind of added element of I, you know, sometimes you don't know what your players are going to do <laughs> mm-hmm. and you don't want to prepare the wrong thing. And then they say, oh, you know, we want to go talk to Boblin the Goblin or whatever, and you have nothing prepared. Um, but with with kind of a more proactive approach, right, they told me their goals and they told me what they wanted. Uh, and I I enjoyed that a lot. It felt almost kind of like a fun exercise to me, right, because I could. Uh, it, it was a guideline for what I needed to flesh out and write about. If if a player right is part of a a clan of paladins or whatever, um, and they you know they give you a few things about what they think those paladins are like, the the organization of the order and some of its members and its tenets and all these things are still still entirely up to you to do as little or as much as you want. Now, do you guys uh, continue that discussion uh, in between games as far as like what the player, player's motivations are to kind of make sure that you're uh, you're keeping them up fresh and that you're um, uh, adjusting to possibly, you know, those those motivations changing over time as new information and experiences get added to the characters? Oh, yeah. I bug them all the time. I mean, throughout the <laughs> week, I'm, I'm, I'm on Discord. I'm thinking, you know, I'm posting art or whatever. Uh, again, less than I used to, but yeah, I just like kind of thinking about it. And so if, if something has happened, new information has been revealed, a certain NPC has been met or a monster has been slain that I think affects them in some way, we usually talk about it right there at the table. Oh, good. Okay. But during the week, if I if I feel like I need a high level overview or recap of what everyone is up to, then yeah, I just, you know, we, we talk about it. And luckily, the other the other thing about running a game this way is that um, they're into it, you know, because mm-hmm. it's their character. They feel like, I don't know if it's, if I complete this goal, I will win. I will win the game, but it definitely connects you to the character that you're playing more. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had the chance to play proactive uh, characters too, right? As a player, not just as a, a game master. And you, feel, you feel really connected to, to your guy and you feel like you you want to think about, well, what would my guy do in this situation or, or what do I want to do next? Um, so if the GM is asking me what that is, yeah, I'm participating, you know, I'm not just showing up on, on Tuesday night to play the game. I I could spend some time during the week, five, 10 minutes shooting off a text about what I think more in the barbarian will do next. (laughs) Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that I, I, I talk about on the, uh, the show all the time is that, you know, basically like listen to your players cause they will, um, they will, whether they're, they're outright phrasing it as a Mm -hmm. request or not. They will tell you what they want to do, you know. Yeah. Um, so, like for instance, uh, in my game, um, my uh, uh, my partner's character went and was uh, talking to a, a ship captain um, that belonged to a trade company that he used to be uh, actually the, the leader of. Um, and uh, it was it, it was late. It was towards the end of the session and stuff like that. And he was looking for information about like basically. Uh, cultists that were infiltrating the trade company. Um, and I, I kind of told him, like, uh, yeah, no, he doesn't know anything, you know, because I was trying to improv and I didn't think, like, okay, well, not everything, you know, connects to this. But I went back and I thought about it between game sessions and I went, no, you know what? He, when he did that, what he was really saying is, I want there to be cult activity for me to find. Right. You know, I want to have that adventure. Yeah, there's never a moment in the mo- in a movie where a hero is just like, I'm going to look behind this door and find 
Nothing. nothing. Oh, God, thank God it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. Thank God I'm not going to have an adventure today. Yeah. Roll credits. Yeah, I'm going to go stare <laughs> off in the distance with my binoculars at this tower and find nothing. Like, that's that's not going to happen. It turns out he was bird watching the whole time. Exactly. Um, you know, so I, aside from, I, you know, I, I think, you know, aside from, from uh, you know, having the con- ongoing conversation with your, with your with your players, which I think is really great, um, uh, to great habit to, to get into for all storytellers, honestly. You know, but it's also looking for those cues that your players drop for you of like, yeah, I, I, I want to I wanna talk to this person about this. Okay, clearly you're asking me to have that adventure. Yeah. I should prepare something here, you know. Yeah. And like I think Jonah said, you know, writing – making those notes of like what happened during the thing is going to have future consequences and take that note, you know. Yeah. And, it, and have something prepped for being behind that door. Yeah, it's not necessarily like – Oh, they just want to fight more, or they want to fight less, or they they liked this type of puzzle. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's all great mechanically, but that doesn't talk about what that where that player is going, the role play. Yeah, you know, s- step away from the board game for just a minute mm-hmm. and and listen to what they're interested in within the movie that is your story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I'm gonna throw this out there because it always comes up on Reddit. It often comes up in questions. The villain. The villain isn't just a vector. It isn't just an NPC who's floating around out there. You know, oftentimes as storytellers, we have opinions, strong opinions about who our villain is and how they're going to present themselves. Um, how do you correlate the player's story with this idea of a villain if you want it to be a proactive play? What, how do you establish those conditions of victory? I think we may have different answers on this. Actually. I hope so. I hope so. Do you, yeah. Uh, do you want to go first or second? Uh, I'll, I'll go first if you don't mind. Because uh, there, there, you know, shameless self plug for our book. There's a whole sub chapter on villains, and I was the one that wrote that one. Congratulations, because uh, you, you like villains. Yeah, because I like villains. Um. So for for me. I'll uh, I'll usually have kind of a vague idea in mind when I'm starting up a campaign for, you know, villainous figures, people I assume will be villainous figures, because sometimes, you know, players will surprise you and do horrible things. Um, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we were the villains the whole time. Funny. Though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, what I'll often end up doing is once those player goals are established, uh, I will I will make goals for the villain. Uh, in much the same way as I do for the players, but I intentionally uh, create those goals to clash with player goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I usually just kind of follow the same guidelines I give my players when I'm making those. I want them to be concrete, achievable. Uh, they take different lengths of time to complete, right? One is short-term and some might be long-term. Um, but it's it's a, a very specific way that you can uh generate conflict uh between a villain and the players in ways that they care about and you know that they'll care about it because they made those goals to tell you what specifically they care about Mm -hmm. 
I, I like the idea of that. It's I, I will flat out say I am terrible about writing the goals of my villains. I'll usually have a single goal for my villains, and that's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Having multiple goals is definitely a way to go because it, it makes it very easy, especially if you use something like even like the Blades in the Dark clocks where you're like, okay, there's four steps to getting to this goal for the villain. Like he needs to, you know, he's trying to find <laughs> the same treasure that the play, that the, the pirate is, but because he wants something different from that treasure, you know, and he believes that that's what's going to give him a certain thing. So he has to, he knows of it. He needs to find the information to be able to track it, then, you know, get to it and then, you know, uncover it, if you will, in, in a series of events. And so it's, it's easy to cross paths, but it's a matter of where do they cross paths with that villain and how do they cross those paths? I, I like that design. I like the, the simplicity of talking through it, but also understanding that really that's not bad to put into practice either. So what's the counterpoint here? Yeah. So I don't, if I was, when I do villains, I do it exactly like Tristan just said, right. Where I, (laughs) and I just copy him and I say, okay, (laughs) whatever my players want, the villain wants the opposite of that. And there's my conflict right there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how there's a lot of details that are left out of that too, though. Right. Cause if I have a cool idea for a villain, which I often, I often don't really have good villain ideas. But if I ever do, you know, if I want a villain that is, uh, okay, let's say they're after the same pirate treasure, right? If my cool idea for a villain is like um, a demented tattoo artist that inks sigils, summoning various demons directly onto their skin, the way that they go after the pirate treasure would be very different from a villain who is like um, some sort of complex uh super merman who lives under the water and is a treasure Uh hunter professionally like the ways that they go after their goals and the encounters that arise out of that will be different um but you can get so so basically you can have it both ways i think uh you know if you have a cool villain idea but also reacting to your players instead of saying because i think and this is really where i'm going with this i think there's a a tendency in fantasy specifically where the villain is structurally the protagonist of the story. And then I'm talking about like fantasy writing, Mm -hmm. uh, fantasy novels, all the epics. That's basically true where the bad guy is the one who's doing stuff and making change in the world and and pursuing what they want. You have Sauron, you have Saruman arguably as well. Uh, You got Vader and Palpatine. You have uh, Wheel of Time does this. Uh, Harry Potter extremely does this. And so you end up in a situation where the villain is doing villainous things and the story is about the main characters. I'm not going to call them protagonists, the main characters, the heroes, uh, reacting to the villain and stopping them. And there's a lot of implications of that for the genre. Right? That's why fantasy, I think, is very often seen as not just reactive, but reactionary. The heroes are often preserving the status quo. Now, of course, often the change to the status quo is like, you know, doom and gloom over the whole world. But mm-hmm. there's something to that, I think, where the heroes are the ones who are stopping things from changing and the bad guy is the one who wants them to change. And I think because a lot of the games we play, Dungeons and Dragons in particular, come out of those stories and out of the fantasy stories, um, we inherit that kind of by accident. And so you have this idea that to be a dungeon master, you make a world and then you make a villain and you make a a big, bad, evil guy. And then you think about what their plans are usually for world domination. 
and then you have the players start in a tavern and then one of the big bad evil guys plans starts unfolding around them and the expectation is that they act to stop it and then they act to stop the next plan and the next plan and the next plan um and I think that in in books, like novels, I think that works pretty well, actually. I mean, I like Lord of the Rings. I like Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it, it works well. But it's not that fun to play, I think. I think if you are a character, because if, if you're only limited by your imagination, you're telling your own story, you're not reacting to someone else's story, or you're not absorbing someone else's story. Because the appeal of the tabletop game is you can do anything you want, anything that you can think of. You know, why Why would you not just go do all the things you want to do? I think that's more fun. So I I think in the, I've only, I, I think I'm only running two games right now. You could argue I'm running three. One hasn't met in a while. None of them have villains. And um, I'm, I think maybe saying that maybe would surprise the, the players. Um, so yeah, folks, if you're listening, think about it. Who's the villain? <laughs> that's yeah, right. <laughs> what you say is, is the villain. In, in the story, and I'm thinking specifically of um, a game I'm running where, as one I was talking about with the pirate goal and the spirit forest goal mm-hmm. and the, the breaking the curse goal, there are people who are interested in those same things and are acting against them that they're going to be in conflict with, but there's not like an overarching villain behind the scenes pulling the strings. These are just adventurers moving through the world, doing the best they can to get the things they want and get out with as much treasure as possible. Sure, you're going to run into uh, there's a big big difference between like antagonists and villains. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, you're exactly. Have plenty of people who stand yeah. against them. Um, now, uh, uh, Tristan, you mentioned you uh, you wrote the the uh, uh, the chapter on this. Um, did you at all uh, explore the concept of a foil uh, in uh, in villainy? Um. A little bit. I I don't think it made the final cut. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, we I, we had to cut a big portion of that chapter. Some of the chapters were like twice as long as the others. <laughs> oh wow! So we yeah. ended up doing a lot of. Well, I've yeah, thought about a lot of. Cutting. There's a lot to be said though on the subject of villainy, though. It's um, huge, honestly. We've 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 tried to cram it in. I think we've now done three different shows about villains yeah. now. So, uh, I, I guess uh, the the reason the reason I bring the foil up is because I I think it, it sounds like it fits a lot uh, a lot better with um kind of how you guys are talking about the subject of of villainy uh you know here in correct me if I'm wrong, um, in that you you kind of take what one of your characters is, um, and a foil, it, 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 there's, there's a, I, I, we, could, we could probably say a lot about the subject of what a foil is in a literary sense, but essentially what it is is it's a, it's a version, it's a dark version of one of your protagonists um, that exists in the world to kind of show them what they would be like if they were a jerk. Mm-hmm. Um if if they were to kind of stray off the path there and stuff like that, um, do you do you guys do either of you guys have any experience with uh, with with writing characters such as that and slipping those in? And do you think that fits kind of with your idea of of a uh, you know reactive to your to your proactive players sort of sort of villain or antagonist? I think so. Yeah, I, I think that's basically our our kind of unstated thesis is that um, in a game like this. The definition of antagonist basically is someone who wants what the the player also wants, but they can't both have it, right? So someone who they're defined 
by their opposition to the players. Because there's other things going on in the world, right? There's factions who want things. There's maybe empires rising and falling and fortunes being made and lost in the background. But those just aren't things that happen in our scenes. The only scenes we have are ones where the conflict is moved forward or backward meaningfully in some way. And so that just means we only see the people, we only feature the characters who are in conflict with our characters somehow not okay not just in conflict but the the, the relevant ones right because you got sure, friendly sure. npcs too is what i mean but yeah you only show the relevant scenes um and so yeah i think that is kind of <laughs> i guess maybe i think every antagonist is a foil i don't know i don't know if i can defend that but i think that's basically our thesis in the book at least about villains is that when you write a villain you're writing them to be explicitly in opposition to something you've chosen from the party maybe the party as a whole maybe just one of the characters but yeah you're defining them in opposition to the party i think it's great too because you uh you inherently circumvent the whole concept of like why does my character even care about this well because the villain was written specifically to be something you care about because you already told me yeah. you care about this thing and he's the guy standing in the way of it you know yeah. or or you end and up And he's better at it than you. Yeah, it's kind right. of cheating actually. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a lot of this is cheating in a lot of ways for the same reason you said the players will tell you what they want. Uh-huh. Um it's really easy to build a game that way because they'll tell you exactly what game they want to play even if they can't articulate it maybe exactly in those words yeah you just pay attention to what they want and write things about that like you're good to go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it, the thing that it reminds me of is also that you just because we're saying opposition it doesn't necessarily mean that they are directly opposed to that character for instance like i right. I, I think back to somebody like magneto yeah like he just wants the mutants to be accepted just as much as Z- xavier does he, but they're at odds with each other with how they're implementing the solution right, right to that. Right. Like, we can't just fight them all. And the answer is, why not just, you know, how about everybody is a mutant? Now it's not a problem anymore. Yep. There we go. Now I've solved the problem. Yep. That's not a solution. Fine. They're going to try and put us in boxes. I'm going to tell them that they can't do that. Oh, oh you know? Xavier, no oppressor ever gave rights to the oppressed because they were asked nicely <laughs> to do so. And and that's the thing is, is that when both sides can see the other on the way, it is, it is a true foil. And I, I think those kinds of things are... It sounds challenging, but at the same time, like you're saying, it is the players are presenting it to you. Take it, flip it, point it right back at them, and say, "There we go. I'm I'm now countering you with what you've said. Let's have some fun. See where this goes." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like this? Do you like this? <laughs> exactly. You're showing them a mirror. Um, you're showing them a bit of a funhouse mirror. I yeah. think, Too. It can be tough because you gotta you gotta bring in everyone, and I think that's really where the craft comes into it. Um, it can't just be. You know, you have some sessions that are more about one player's thing than another player's thing, but ultimately you gotta you gotta get the whole party. Um, that can be hard, and and that's where I think like a lot of the work of storytelling comes in. Yeah, is is when you have that one player who's hard driving for a money goal, while the other players are are trying to drive for the charity goal, and and someone right. else <laughs> really doesn't care about murdering people, and everyone else is like that's not what we do. That's that's the storytelling conundrum, I think, right there is trying to pull that back together while communicating with the player saying, come on, guys, let's let's try and find a common ground. Mm -hmm. You know, that's I still think that that's one of the biggest things is finding that common ground even before the game starts. But as the game grows and gets bigger and bigger, I often find that players tend to separate or get a lot tighter. 
because of those goals. Yeah, they can diverge for sure. And that's tough <laughs> to deal with. It depends on the game. Like So like Blades in the Dark, baked into the setting is the idea that you're going to be stealing stuff and breaking stuff. And everyone's more or less happy to do that. Right. And the more open-ended game, unless you define what your game is about, um, it's really easy for players to split off, even thematically, oh, you know, the, the genre of game they want to play. Blades in the Dark? I thought it... I thought we were. It was about cupcakes. I thought we were playing baked in the dark. No, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> oh, nope. if only. That, that that's a different one. Okay, so. okay, okay. God, my oh man. Same I SRD, to, totally different game. I have to recontextualize that. All right, all right. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm I'm gonna step away because obviously we don't want you guys to expose your entire book here. But I will ask this question: <laughs> What if you could? Would you change about this book? Is there things that, like, after finishing this, and I, I put the finishing in quotes because I know you guys are, are, are wrapping things up and, and getting things put, you know, to editor and such, but is there is there something that you'd hope that you could add to it or even maybe in version 2.0 will be, would you would love to be there? Yeah, I'd like to uh, greatly expand on the adventure at the end. Um we just because of the constraints of print, we had like 16 to 18 pages to write an adventure at the end. And okay. it, that's an interesting challenge because of what the book is about. Right. The mm -hmm. book is about how do you react to your players and build adventures and encounters around them. And so at the end of the book to have an adventure would defeat the purpose if it was just like, here's an adventure they can go on. Because the whole, you know, it just kind of defeats the the point. And so what we had to do was say, here are some things your characters might want. It, basically, we set up a demo to the ideas in the book by mm -hmm. saying, here are some things that the characters might want. And then here are some forces that directly oppose them. And we have kind of a Mad Libs set up where the factions and what they want change based on what your characters, what your players decide. And then we have some encounters that you could string together into an adventure based on that. And I wish we had like, 200 more pages to do that um, because there's so many different ways that could go oh, yeah. and we had a lot of cool ideas specifically for encounters and mechanics that we just couldn't just couldn't put in uh so that's you know that's a bummer if they if they say hey come back write a 400 version or 400 page version of the book like the extra 100 pages will just be yeah it'll just be adventure encounter ideas that's fair that's fair tristan mine is uh kind of similar to jonah's uh I, I wish that we had a little more room to talk about adapting existing content into a role into into a proactive game mm -hmm. uh, because there are some really you know, so, some really incredible campaign books and adventures and encounters and they're really useful especially for you know games like D and D or especially for even crunchier games that are similar right like Pathfinder or something mm -hmm. where you have to spend a lot of time. Worrying about, right, how many monsters do I have? How many players do I have? How does that affect the encounter difficulty, right? Um, and those books are great resources for that. And you can adapt those into a proactive game, even though they tend to be kind of railroady as written. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we just uh, we didn't have the time or the room to expand on it all that much. So we only touched on it. And I think there's a lot of useful information and, and tools you can use to, to do that successfully. Okay. So I think so, that'd be a cool show we could do, Tristan, uh, just sort of a side, <laughs> let's put just real quick. If Robin no, started. by all means, it would be cool as we take uh, like old school adventures, 
and we we chop them up into the pieces and we figure out how we would fit them back together into a proactive game what the characters would have to be like how to adapt it kind of on the spot it could be a cool show i'd watch that i'd watch that i I think you guys have a podcast in the making right there Just just monthly teardowns of of different adventures and how, how to fix them from all kinds of places. I think that's a great idea. I'm on a I'm on a personal quest. My personal short term goal is to make the Princes of the Apocalypse D and D Fifth Edition campaign good. I tried to run it multiple times. It's so hard to make it even coherent. It's hard to make a narrative out of it. But I feel like if I had like a year to work on it. You could literally cut up the book, reorganize it into different pieces. I think it would be runnable. That is the first. So, <laughs> that's the first. That's the first adventure that uh, 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 my my boyfriend Sean tried to run. Oh, uh, no. oh yeah. poor guy! So Wait, how'd it go? Sorry, yeah, uh, we we got we got. I don't think I think maybe halfway through it or so. But um, we moved and we moved like an hour away from uh, a couple of our other players. In fact, who's in live chat with us right now? Knox in the box uh, was also in that that campaign with us. And so just it, the drive fell apart for both of us. We just couldn't we couldn't get together, you know, all that much, and it just kind of it kind of died. But. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, have you played a bit of it? I know, (laughs) I know what you're talking about though, man, with the, like, cause there were certain parts in there where I was just like, wait, why is this, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, (laughs) what in the world is going on? I, I, but the setting is cool. It's like fantasy Kentucky, basically (laughs) hills. There's, there's full of bandits, but there's also much, much older stuff in the hills, up oh, in the pines. That's kind of scary. Okay. You got okay. the, the flying knights. Um, yeah, and it's the cool. Feather gale it, the feather gale. Yeah. There's like, yeah, the feather gale spire, right? That's we took over. In our campaign, we took over feather gale cool. spire. That is hilarious. I, I converted it into a temple of helm after we took it over. It's beautiful. <laughs> they deserved it. Yeah, they the did. So what's funny yeah. is I've not played it. I have any. I don't own. I don't have any copies of it. Yeah. But I watched two reviews on it because of a Reddit post that said it was terrible. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how bad can this be? And the words it is like D and D in Kentucky were in both reviews. <laughs> Are you kidding? Really? I'm dead serious. So I I was like, did you come up with this idea? Because that was totally awesome. in the reviews. Oh my god! Like, and and they said it in different ways. But like, listening to all of you talk about it, like, oh my god, this is so true. This is so true. <laughs> but at the same time, well, there's something about that then, though, right? Because yeah. Yeah. That means that the theme and the tone and the vibe of what they were going for really shines through. Or it wasn't just, what they wanted at all. It's defeated by its own organization. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. For lack of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeehaw Skyrim. <laughs> oh, jeez. So much. <laughs> all right. Before we get too far into that, what else can we expect out of the two of you? What is there anything coming in the future? Other uh, than like, the book, obviously. Other than the book. You know, or is this just the beginning of a series? Uh, well, so... Uh, we can't super talk about that, but we can talk about the book itself. We can talk about how it's going to be hitting shelves in October. Okay. Um, and we're very excited about that. We're doing sort of a, a push to get it on people's radar. Okay. Now we have a website, uh, thequestbrothers.com, okay. where every week we're posting free encounters. So everything that we talked about today, sort of the ideas of how do you tweak an encounter to make it react to the player's instead of like making the players react to it we do demos of that every week and we post them for free on the website this week was um oh it was my week it was uh, an ambush in the forest so if your players are ambushed in the forest why might that happen how might who is ambushing them and what they want from them change 
the powers and abilities of their enemies there and the rewards at the end. Um, just so, so a resource for people to use and also just kind of get people thinking about, okay, well maybe, maybe I could try this for myself because I think it's really fun and I want people to try it because I think it changes the way that you see the game. Awesome. Yeah. So we did get a couple questions in, uh, funny enough, you answered most of these, but I want I kind of want to know this. Do you think, and uh, this comes from Nevin, does the proactiveness or reactiveness influence the type of story that can be told? That's a great question. And I saw it in the Discord earlier this week, and I was trying to think of an answer. I don't have a good one for you, man. I'm sorry. I think, like, <laughs> like my gut reaction is yes, because I think, so I guess what I'm saying is I think there's some stories that can only be told in a proactive way like a heist mm -hmm. no one's no one's like reacting with a heist i guess i mean maybe though right like it's it's also nebulous like a good heist story it's mm -hmm. all about you know you got to get the team together and you got to get people with the right abilities and you got to steal the thing at the right time and deal with the problems as they come up that's a very proactive thing i think the dark lord rising in the far north and we have to get a fellowship together in order to stop the dark lord feels very reactive but i think you could tell that story in a proactive way too and i think i'm thinking of lord of the rings i know i said the north i got it mixed up with the wheel of time mid-sentence you're fine thinking about lord of the rings right dark lord rising in in the east in mordor i think the in a lot of ways frodo and sam the other hobbits are just kind of getting pulled along by the events that are happening to them with the exception maybe of in rivendell when they're like they sort of volunteer and they have this sort of agency Mm -hmm. And then they're kind of pulled along by momentum. That's not a criticism, by the way. I think it, you know it's a timeless story. But I think there are some people for whom that story, their characters in it, if you think of it as a as a D and D game, are uh, proactive. Faramir is one of them. Boromir, arguably, is another. Mm -hmm. Where they they want these things and they're willing to sort of test their own limits to see, you know, how far will I go to get this thing and how much is it worth it to me. Um, so I, I don't know. <laughs> it's confusing. It, it's muddy. I think that there are some systems that are much better at telling proactive stories. Um, and I think there are systems that are better suited for, for reactive stories and they need some help, some tooling to make the stories that you tell them proactive. I hope that's, yeah, I hope that's good enough. <laughs> Do you want to add something, Tristan? I think he just about covered it. I mean, Lord of the Rings is always kind of my favorite. I think it's both of our favorite go-to example of like a very reactive story. You know, the Dark Lord rises in the distance and the hobbits feel it all the way in the Shire and they have to scramble to try to stop him. Um, I I think I would say yes as well. I think some some stories kind of require a reactive um a reactive mode, right? And some some require proactive. I I think most of the reactive ones are are better suited for uh for fiction, right? Like uh books and movies and those types of things, but I'm sure there's there's a place for for both in in either medium. Counterpoint Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, because Conan <laughs> just kind of he's just kind of he's there for a good time <laughs> um, true. and that stuff kind of happens to it's set up like it's reactive stuff happens to him and around him and he kind of just ignores it or he cuts his <laughs> way out of it 
yeah. and goes back to doing what he was going to do anyway. Dude just uh, wants so that's to... sort of an interesting deconstruction in a lot of ways. I don't think that's the way that Howard wrote those stories, but that's why they come across. I mean, Conan is a is an interesting example specifically because I mean him and and those types of stories, right? Kind of like classic pulp fantasy stuff mm-hmm. is a lot of what you know was used when when original D and D was made, right? When when yeah. the yeah, true. the goals of the players were uh, you know delve into a dungeon and and carry out as much gold as you possibly can and that's and then corral that's basically conan yeah (laughs) i mean and then you've got stories like Dragonlance, where you've got these epic tales of individuals who their goals are exposed and their lives told but it's it's very reactive to what's going on around them and i think that does shape a lot of it um, they're product of their circumstances. It's just, mm-hmm. a, it's a classic fantasy thing. Mm-hmm. It's good to read. Like I, I want to <laughs> other conversations I've had about this. I, I think it's come across as criticism. It's not necessarily, you know, <laughs> it's a good time. It's good to read. I just don't think it's as fun to play as the alternative. Yeah. I think, I think there's something to be said for the romantic following of a hero. Where you're basically yeah, it's, just it's watching destiny. that yeah. destiny and that journey unfold, and you're not sure whether it's going to be successful all the way. Obviously, you're watching for the pitfalls, but you're watching. You're not interacting with it. Um, and I think that is something to be said for the... I mean, the second question here is, are some stories that can only be told in reactiveness or proactiveness? And I think that there are... I think that's a much easier answer in the sense that yes i think there are definitely stories that can only be told in one direction because just by making them the other it changes the story it alters it alters the flow and the heartbeat i mean yes the theme and the feel are still there but no matter what setting you throw them in like i i i take the simple fantasy of not simple fantasy the grand fantasy of les mis Mm -hmm. you've got all these people who have goals set in a setting that is in motion events that are, are 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 transpiring because of things if you make that story reactive versus proactive it changes it drastically if those players only had one journey it would be a heroic story whereas if you if you look at it from a proactive sense and the story evolves suddenly you now understand why the vectors and cha- the vectors of npcs and events change but the momentum is still there to come to a, a, a conclusion. So it changes the whole feel of the story just in the sense that it goes one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like I used mm-hmm. to look at 7th C as a very um, reactive game where a scenario gets set up and the players are reacting to it because there's all this content and momentum that's already existing in the world. And just in the last few years, I've kind of revisited it in my mind to say, no, they gave you all these people and all of these vectors to basically say, what do the players want? Now, who's in this world? I've already given you all the pieces that goes against that. Have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've right. made, I've see made what it happens. easy. See I'm, how it shakes out. Right. I'm not telling you what they're doing because they aren't doing it. That's the thing. They just have a goal. They want this thing. Great. Is that at odds with one of the player's goals? Perfect. Grab that person and enjoy yourself. I've got them fully flushed out here. Have fun. In a very, very delicate world. And in that sense, it makes it easy. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, we have a, uh, a follow-up question from the uh, from the live chat. Knox and the Boss asks, uh, are mysteries proactive or reactive? Ooh. On one hand, you're searching for clues, but what you when uh, what you find in them uh, changes your reactions. Yeah, good question. So I tend to think of mysteries and and thrillers for the same reason as reactive, and often as um, kind of often as reactionary too, right? So like this this horrible thing has happened. I'm thinking of like a, a thriller in particular. Sure, this sure. doesn't have to be a mystery. Something has happened. You're discovering it after the fact and deciding what's to be done about it. There's often an element of justice or discovering the truth. Um, the the key thing for me is it like is it the circumstances of the world that are changing the care the characters absorbing them and changing in reaction to them or is it the character going out into the world and changing the face of it um that is driving the setting forward and it doesn't have to be a grand thing you know you don't have to be the 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 Roman emperor conquering distant lands to change the face of the world. You can change the relationships with the people you have that are, are close to you. And if it's you doing it, then that's a proactive moment, I think. Sure, sure, sure. And also, you know, this, the scope of the mystery too, like are, you know, are you Columbo, um, you know, uh, trying to solve a murder or something like that? You know, obviously that's a very reactive thing because there's been an inciting incident mm-hmm. and you are the one, you know, they're reacting to it, trying to resolve it for, uh, for the victim and for those around them. Uh, but, you know, for something like, uh, you know, your typical like Indiana Jones national treasure sort of thing where there's a there's a mystery that's much larger, like an ancient riddle or a, mm-hmm. a prophecy or something like that or a hidden treasure um, that is that is kind of your mystery to solve. Well, that that's pro, you know, it's far easier to make an argument that is proactive because you've got someone who has the drive to go out and seek the answer to this thing that is just kind of sitting there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and to peel peel apart the and but the thing is you're telling that story because you know who the character is and you they're on this trajectory already. This just happens to be the situation they run into. I don't think I think that's probably how Indiana Jones was written. Right? They came up with the this I'm totally guessing here. They mm-hmm. came up with the character <laughs> first, right? Mm-hmm. Who is Indy? What does he do for his job? Right. What are some things he might run into? Let's let's write movies about that. Yeah. And it's about him going out and trying to find those things. And he's often in a race against someone else, right? There's your antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's reactive. Movies are interesting because movies can really go either way, um, even within the same genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I think that's a, the topic onto itself is uh, looking at stories and saying, did they make the character first or the setting first? <laughs> right. You right. know, mm-hmm. I, I, there's definitely places where you can clearly see a villain was made and then they're like, okay, who's going to try and stop this? That's mm-hmm. what we need. We need something to stop this. And how can we set that, that in a, in a position of challenge, you know, to stop it? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, a lot I'm, of superhero stuff that way. Yeah. Well, I want to yeah. say it has been an unbelievable pleasure to have you both here. We're very excited to see the book this fall. We'd love to have you guys back to talk about it after release and to and kind of follow back up on everything uh, and, and get into a bit more of a meat of discussion, especially about the villains. Mm-hmm. I think there's a I think there's a larger yeah, topic cool. there that we could tear yeah. apart. 
<laughs> yeah, do a little show and tell through the book. Look at the chapter. <laughs> we can read Tristan's examples. We call it Tristan and Jonah, the cutting room floor. You there know, we see go. Little stuff, yes. stuff, that, stuff that didn't make it into the book, and we'll, we'll talk all about we that. We still have our notes. They're still around. Right on. Yeah. Well, uh, Tristan and uh, Jonah Fischel, thank you so much for joining us today uh, on the show. Uh, is there anything else you want to you wanna leave us with? Parting thoughts? Uh, shout outs? Um, you want to uh, plug your website again? Yeah, check it out, thequestbrothers.com. Uh, see if you like it. I think it's useful for uh, just if you need something to run for your group, you're not sure what to run, there it is. And it's encounters, not adventures, so they're easy to drop in. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, we're looking for the uh, for the book. Uh, give us the title one more time. The Game Master's Handbook of Proactive Role-Playing. If you've seen the Game Master's Book of Traps, the Game Master's Book of NPCs, Game Master's Book of Dragons, cover looks like that. Because it's one of those. Awesome. Available anywhere uh, that fine books are sold. So it's up for pre-order on on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, I think Books a Million, all those, all Walmart. those fine. <laughs> yeah. on the, if, you, if you get your books from Walmart, you get you can get it there. And yeah, we're absolutely. planning on this being uh, being uh, on shelves in October. You said right. Yeah, that's right. Yes. October this year. All right, great. Excellent. Well, once again, thank you for joining us here on the show. We absolutely loved having you guys, and uh, we we'll hope to talk to you again. That's a blast. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much. So next week's topic. Next week's topic. It's a weird one. Yeah, we are going back to our workshopping, and we're we're doing something that uh, I think we threw this down as a note and it we kept talking about it, and I think that's why it stuck. Mm -hmm. But it's the idea of system remixes. Yeah, yeah, kind of repurposing a system, um, using it in in a specifically in a way that wasn't designed to kind of do uh you know like using 7c's rules to play something other than 7c you know yeah or or grabbing alien and doing a completely different setting right 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 or if you're on just an absolute bender grabbing Mm. shadow run you know (laughs) oh god imagine trying to do shadow run with fantasy some kind of fantifical world right right it's not that the setting is so far off but it's a matter of how do you remix that what do you let go of? What right. do you keep? And and what sort of rules are um, uh, inherent to the setting so much that they can't? They're inextricable. You know, they can't be. They can't be removed from the exactly uh, re- removed or adapted and stuff like that. So we're gonna take a look at, take a good long look at that um, next week. And uh, yeah, hopefully you'll continue joining us. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave on mixlr every weekday or week wednesday uh at 7 p.m at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave or you can find our uh, link to our discord on our twitter uh or on our website at storytellerconclave.com where you can join us and the rest of our conclave members in rileless discussion <laughs> and a big shout out to our patreon members especially our name members noxon's box subject sam arcane asylum sparkle motion veteran hulavu and Sean, thank you so much for your continued support of the show. Uh, our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at uh, geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is only our footprints in the sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. We'd like to thank our families, uh, Vicky and Sean, for supporting us. All of our friends who played games with us throughout these years and moved through systems uh, without necessarily all the decisions made. And you, our listeners, we love you. We love you guys so much. Good night. Good night.